0: chase knowledge not a salary as I settled for some pretty average jobs for an extra couple of quid an hour not to worry about making mistakes because it'll all come good in the end and that things do definitely get better.
1: Hi and welcome to another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal hosted by myself Chris Hall the founder of the Burnt Chef Project. Today our guest is Ian who is a head chef who wants to join us today to talk a little bit about his recovery from gambling addiction and also how he's trying to break the mold in terms of how hospitality operates, certainly around well-being and mental health. Some of this content does refer to references of suicide, so if you have any concerns or if you're feeling that you need some assistance, please contact Samaritans on 116 123 for free 24 seven. We hope you enjoyed this chat. So, hi Ian, welcome to the Burnt Chef Journal. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm good, thank you, how are you?
1: Good, very well, thank you. So, um, for those who don't know, Ian got in contact with me over Facebook who wanted to talk about his own experiences with mental health wellbeing, um, both personally and within his brigade. So this is the first time that Ian and I have met, and um, I think it's a good opportunity for us just to, sort of take it from the top here and just explain to both myself and also the people listening sort of who you are and, and what it is that you do and then we can start to move into into the more um taboo or stigmatized uh, conversation
0: <laughs> yeah no problem um my name's Ian ian wilkinson uh, i'm 28 and i'm head chef at a place called Yolk farm which is um an egg based restaurant on a working egg farm in north yorkshire and um, we opened in july of this year amid the amidst the pandemic um been in the industry since 2008 as a pot washer at a hotel near where i lived in tadcaster called hazelwood castle and then worked between kind of yorkshire and newcastle and then back again and yeah landed up where i am now
1: so what was it that got
0: you into hospitality ian Um, I had a Leeds Fest ticket to pay for and I had no money, so my mate needed a pot washer and I went, well, that'll probably have to do. So I just fell into it. I wanted a career in sport through school. um, But then when I realised that you've got to be good at sport to have a career in sport, it kind of went downhill and I had no plan. And then I really enjoyed the atmosphere of a kitchen, obviously matched kind of a dressing room atmosphere in a way. Um, so I fell in love with the atmosphere opposed to the food. And then, yeah, went from there. Um, my mum kind of forced not forced me, but said, you're either doing your A-levels or you're getting a job. So got a job and went to college and haven't looked back.
1: Nice. And talk to me a little bit more about your current restaurant as well. An egg-based restaurant. What exactly is that?
0: Yeah, so every dish on the menu has an egg element, whether it's a poached egg or in the recipe. We're trying to kind of break kind of standard brunch boundaries, some new dishes using our farm. We've got a farm as well, so using our farm for the ingredients, a farm shop for the other ingredients and the eggs that are laid by the free range hens on the land. We've got 6,000 hens. Um, ben and his team kind of look after the farm inside, and then Ben and Emma as a couple look after the shop, restaurant side and like alpaca experiences, deliveries, stuff like that. So it's it's maybe six or seven businesses on one site. And then the Yolk Found Kitchen is one of them utilising the the eggs.
1: Nice. I've no, I've never never heard of it before. Like that's, uh, that's a concept <laughs> I'm familiar with. So
0: No, neither had I. I just saw it on Indeed and applied and then yeah, fell in love with the idea and the and the dream of Ben and Emma. So um yeah, it's really interesting, a good place to work. So, just
1: give us a uh, give us a quick heads up. What sort of one of the wildest just dishes that you've put on that has to be egg based?
0: Not necessarily wild, but like we've kind of got some soft shell crab benedicts with Tigerine green hollandaise, fried chicken pancakes with hot sauce and pickles. Just kind of doing more than the normal farm shop kind of expected menu of salmon and eggs, full English things like that. So, just yeah, trying to bridge the gap between farm shops and younger families uh, kind of offering something a bit different um to entice the like, local community and our target target audience In my like the business model is david walliams doing yoga so healthy fun crazy and enjoyable is kind of the, the system that we go for nice
1: nice and um what was it that sort of I mean, firstly, how did you stumble across the Burnt Chef journal and uh, and what was it that made you want to, to
0: sort of take part? So I'd say I've suffered with mental health problems in school um, and the Burnt Chef um, project is kind of the first thing I've seen that has kind of spoken to me about it. Um, I've always been surrounded, not necessarily at home, but in work and at school, like a bit of a man up culture which i'm sure many chefs and other industries have Um, and i've always been made to feel like my male's health was my own fault and my problem so then to see something within hospitality being backed by some of the names that it's being backed by um found it really interesting it was a merchandise that grabbed my eye on social media because it's the kind of t-shirts and hoodies and stuff i wear anyway and then obviously when i've looked into it further there's there's more to it than just selling t-shirts to raise some money so yeah just really appreciate the uh the efforts and kind of the vision of the burnt chef project and i've followed it since whenever i first stumbled across it nice well thank you for getting involved i see you wearing a fuck stigma t-shirt on there as
1: well so uh <laughs> it's um yeah, it's always absolutely. good good to see it especially over christmas and everyone was opening up uh open up burnt chef branded merchandise so it's, uh, <laughs> yeah it's um it's a proud moment but i think you know it's it, as you say, it's the merchandise that grabs the attention, but ultimately, it's the subject matter that that we exist for. Um, you know, without the branded merchandise, we would be able to fund training on mental health and basically, you know, break down the walls of stigma that's attached to it. So, um, I appreciate you getting in contact and and thank you very much for for coming here today to share your story. No, thank you for having me. So, you mentioned in your uh, initial message that you had had experiences with addiction. Can you just expand a a little bit on that for us?
0: Yes, mine was a gambling addiction. Um, So when I first moved to Newcastle, I kind of went up there on my own. I went to work with a head chef that I'd worked with in North Yorkshire, but he lived in Newcastle, so I was in living accommodation on my own and kind of fell into gambling with one of the chefs there who went to the bookies on his break and, It ended up being a kind of lifestyle that I I was alone but didn't feel alone because I could sit in the bookies on my break on my own and not feel like people were looking at me. I could go to the casino after work because I couldn't really go to the bar after work and sit on my own. So in my head, it wasn't a problem at the time, um, but it was just, in hindsight, just all loneliness-based. So, yeah, every split shift, would drive to the nearest bookies or after work to the casino in the centre of Newcastle. Um, it kind of just got out of hand it started off uh, a bit of fun and then yeah right through to stealing money from family and and things like that to fund the the problem um but because it was gambling again a bit with the man up mentality I didn't see it as an addiction I thought it was something I could manage because it's not drugs or alcohol your body's not dependent in my head on it um so I should have just been able to shake it but obviously there's a a deeper meaning to the problem and um, that i just didn't understand at the time
1: and how over what period of time uh, if you can if you can remember
0: how long did that
1: that addiction take to manifest in itself
0: i think the first time i gambled was 18 and then the last time i gambled i was 24 and i'm 28 now so it probably peaked around 22 23 i could be off with my day my years there but i think looking back that's when it when it was but yeah 21 22 in newcastle and that's kind of when it yeah peaked it was definitely a major problem okay and in terms of when
1: you found that, that this was uh a problem it became less fun and more of an issue at what sort of stage what sort of things had uh prompted you to think that that was that was the case
0: um so kind of um at the time my mum was um having treatment for breast cancer and it kind of just opened my eyes that I was taking advantage of my mum when she was at her most vulnerable. Um, so that obviously hit home a little bit of, she's going through enough without you doing this to her and yourself and so on and so forth. Um, but then I was dependent on her for money because I was gambling all mine and obviously loving mum. She'd sent me what I asked for. Um, so I was kind of taking advantage of that situation. Um And then we booked, she'd got her all clear and we booked to go to Florida as a family me, my stepdad, and my mum. And we were about six weeks off going, and I gambled all the money that I'd had saved up to go. And in that panic, I went home, got extremely drunk, and tried to drive my car into a tree um, to kind of end it all essentially. Um, Failed, luckily. and that was kind of the point that my family became aware that there was a problem because until then, I kind of hid in it. I was two hours away, twenty 22 year, 22-year-old lad in Newcastle's skin. It's you know, it's not the end of the world, is it? Like every 22-year-old lad in Newcastle is probably drinking his money and having too good a time. Um, so, yeah, I had to come home after the car crash and a couple of nights in hospital, a couple of days in hospital. Um And obviously in my family's head, my mum had been helping me with money. I was getting paid, living, Surely, there's some money somewhere to get a new car. And on the Monday, there was no money in my account. Went to the bookies, gambled, fortunately won and could buy a car. And my mum was very aware of, well, you had no money yesterday. Where's this two grand come from? And I got away with it maybe for another couple of months and then accidentally crashed that car on an icy road and then it just fully unraveled um, and by this point I'd moved home um, I'd lost my job in Newcastle because I'd been drinking at work and then driven um, and yeah so once I've yeah once it, it finally hit rock bottom when I had no money no car needed more help it it was then out of my hands because I was dependent on other people to kind of get by I can I
1: can empathise with what you're saying. I've been in similar situations myself, um, to the point where I've owed the bank in tunes of thousands and thousands of yeah. pounds, and no one knows about it besides me. Um, yeah. And it feels feels lonely. Hey.
0: Yeah. So my mum works. Um, in an industry that involves some counselling and she was recommended a company in Harrogate called Chrysalis um, and they do counselling through Gamcare. So my mum funded a couple of private sessions before that got set up and yeah, the, the counselling sessions really hit her while I was gambling because in my head, I was gambling because I needed money, but I didn't need money because if I didn't gamble, I'd have money. And yeah, it all brought down to this loneliness of, all right, I had mates if you like, but it was just the lads at work and, you know, the. The team out from beyond work. We didn't really have much in common Um lived just outside Newcastle in a village called Newton, maybe 20 houses. So it wasn't like I could I was even in the city and um, could thrive on the lifestyle night after night and stuff like that. So, yeah, all, all boiled down to to loneliness, um, which you know was a relief to hear there was a reason behind it. Not just I was a dickhead who couldn't manage his money.
1: Mm which i mean it happens to a lot of uh especially when you're getting into well no matter what industry you're in when you're sort of 17 18 19 20 years old i think men are probably a little bit worse than it than than perhaps women are um and that might be a yeah. generalized generalization but i think that we are probably due to the macho culture that we we've been brought up in we're probably trying to keep up with each other a little bit too much eh?
0: yeah absolutely so i kind of went in my head, when I lived in North Yorkshire, I was this big fish in a small pond and had money, had a car. I was chef in the town and everything was great and then moved to a real place and was just massively overwhelmed with how kind of insignificant I was um, in comparison to when I lived at home or in my head. Obviously, I wasn't. But yeah, um, yeah, real learning curve and was, was tough to adapt to. So
1: obviously we've gone through, you know, the the realization uh, and the the hardest thing. And as I say, I can I can empathize and I know how fucking hard it is to be able to turn around to someone, even especially loved ones, and go. By the way, uh, I've got a secret, and uh, this is what it looks like. And you've been sat on that yeah. secret for for years, um, worrying. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Such,
1: you know, I, so I, I empathize with that, but. What was it like once you had started to challenge that uh that debt and challenge that behavior how, how um how did that change you and how did that change your you know your life and the way that you dealt with things
0: well initially it was a bit of a, a struggle because obviously there was an addiction there of this dependency on gambling but my family had taken all control of my finances from me um if you're living at home, we're gonna manage this you're gonna pay back the people you had money to, I think I owed money to my mum, my dad and an ex girlfriend um it's about five grand i think in total so not, nothing unmanageable but still not right because I owed them it for the reasons I owed them it um so there's probably a six month period- a six month period where things were really tense um I was only twenty in my twenties so felt like I was a man and then I was single as well, so it was like I can't even ask girls out because I've got no money. Can't go have a drink after work because my bank card's at home. So adjusting to that was a bit of a struggle. Um, but once the debt started to chip away, I mean, my debt to my mum will never chip away. I think uh, I've got a tab with her now, opposed to a debt. But the debt for the gambling money alone, um, once that had gone, felt really good. And then it kind of took a turn. I was having my counselling in Harrogate and then kind of a mentor for me in hospitality into the days. of course, me called Francois Amorion. He's a general manager of a restaurant in Harrogate. And he offered me my first kind of head chef job. And um, I'd worked with him when I was younger. Didn't work with him through my problems as such, um, but I always kept in touch. And then he offered me kind of a route out of it. So at that point, we would kind of look at Francois's friend, had a room I could rent. He assured my family I'd keep an eye on him. And so I kind of got a little bit of independence back. Um, I'd, you know, left my bank cards at home, had a second bank card with a little bit of spending money on and kind of just slowly rebuilt the trust with my family and myself um, to kind of get somewhere. Um so yeah, owe a lot of my recovery to Francois, really.
1: That's amazing. And then- he was obviously whilst you were working with him at the same time as living with him, were you?
0: No, I was living with one of his friends um, and they had a, a flat in Harrogate, but in the basement it was like a converted bedroom bathroom with a a little sunlight window and they were renting it out for an affordable amount of months. So it's like, right, come live in Harrogate because it'll take you all day to drive in. Um, we'll make sure your rent's paid, we'll make sure your mum gets her money back and, and we'll go from there. I think essentially he just needed a head chef desperately because he would pissed his first one off, but um, he helped me more than he'll know on that. So
1: <laughs> Nice. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. I think that's very important. There was another reason why you came on to today's talk as well. You wanted to share something that, was, that had
0: happened a little
1: bit more recently.
0: Yeah, it was um, last summer. I was working at a restaurant in York. Um, I've obviously disclosed this with the chef in questions family because it's a subject close to their heart and I lost my sous chef to suicide. Um, it was, yeah, July 9th of the day before my birthday, so probably one of them kind of memories that'll stick with me regardless of how traumatic it was um, because of the timing of it and just how maybe I was guilty of... Not as such the man up culture, but not taking these problems as seriously as I could have done as an as an employer or as a manager, and not just me but the the company in general um but me as his you know his immediate line manager. I'm sorry to hear that it's... yeah, it was uh strange times, but almost one of them that when it happened, like I wasn't shocked um and that's kind of what I realised that maybe. Obviously, I think if you ever know someone who commits suicide, whether you're as close to them as we were or or not, you're always going to question could we have done more. Um, but yeah, just kind of back to that man up mentality that I feel. Hospitality and myself, even as recently as you know this week, I've probably been guilty of expecting team members to to take when it's probably not the right way to go. It is for some people, but. It's kind of reading your room and reading your personalities, and um, my current employers are big on personality types. I think that's going to help me management wise in the long run. But I wish I'd known that a couple of years sooner because I could have maybe helped Peter much sooner. Yeah, and I, you can't be
1: too hard upon yourself. I mean, ultimately, if, if yeah, anyone, you know, if anyone has experienced loss down to, to do things like suicide, it's not often something that we're trained in as individuals to recognise the signs of, unfortunately, until it's too late. Um, But again, it also comes down to culture and it comes down to the ability to be able to talk openly about the subject and for people to feel that they don't have to hide away from it. Similarly with, you know, addiction or depression or anxiety or any of those other things. In terms of, you know, for those who are perhaps listening who may be concerned about someone else uh, or for those who, are wondering what they're feeling. Um, are there any particular signs or, or things that you've personally experienced with your situation that could prove useful to others?
0: Yeah. So kind of the first time I noticed about Peter, he'd been my sous chef at two jobs, um, and it was at the first job, which I won't name because it was a really good job. But I think the handling of some of it, some of the problems there, wasn't great. Um, I noticed that well, about eighty percent of the team probably had a drug and alcohol problem. And in in, in a way, me included with the alcohol side. Um, And when it became apparent to myself as head chef, the manager and the two owners, a letter went round every staff member saying if you're found with drugs, alcohol, at work or out of work to a degree that it affects your work, you're going to get sacked. And in hindsight, I think when it was such a problem within that business, it would have been potentially better just to have an intervention and then try and find help for those people because um, since then we've lost Peter and a, a bartender called Joe that, was in, w- w- that were, was in that workplace and I kind of feel that it could have been it probably couldn't have been avoided as such but we should have offered real support supposed opposed to don't do drugs you naughty boys I, and that's how it felt um, whereas if we'd have sat down, you know, the help is out there. If they don't want the help, that's entirely up to them. Um, so, yeah, just to try and kind of get away from that fear of doing something wrong, like we've all made mistakes, we've all had our vices, and we're all a bad day away from doing something stupid or, you know, turning to something. And I just, yeah, just feel that more businesses, maybe not, the higher end ones, I think the higher end ones now because of their face value within the industry are doing more, like the celebrity chef level and the Michelin star level are already doing more but then middle of the road or slightly higher end middle of the road restaurants where you're still doing the 14, 15 hour days kind of do a bare minimum. Um, and I just feel that more could happen. It's The health's free, it's not going to cost the business anything but time. And obviously that time is then reinvested in the staff members are going to be happier and healthier, which will then reward the business.
1: Yeah, it's often difficult for any business owner to perhaps get there. When you start up a business, you don't ever expect to having to deal with the issues that you get within hospitality, and you certainly don't ever have to. I don't suppose any business owner feels that they are there to fix people who have, have issues with gambling or with mental health or with debt or anything like that but I think you've touched upon a really interesting point which is the fact that your staff are assets to the business you know irrespective of if they're having a good day a bad day whether they've got more serious problems but they are assets to the business and by retaining those members of staff you'll actually end up with a stronger healthier and ultimately a better retained workforce for a longer period of time so when you talk about free resources are there any specific resources that perhaps you would now direct your members of staff to if that same situation arrives
0: yeah so my obviously knowledge of um the drug and alcohol side is rather limited to kind of the ones everybody already knows so nhs based and, and things like that um but i have pointed a staff member currently um going through something to chrysalis who helped me in Harrogate um but then' also happy and then sorry we've spent time together in research what could help her um just on the internet so no my knowledge of the resources isn't isn't great um but more the time I would be prepared to give to people to try and help them for their scenario um is uh paramount i think um things that helped me were kind of the mindfulness training and things like that so when i've got staff members tell me that they're struggling to sleep or they're suffering from anxiety i know the thing that helped me massively with gambling was as simple as mindfulness and just using youtube videos and things like that um so i kind of point people in that direction and then extend um an olive branch if if they need anything beyond that luckily at the minute touch wood i've got a pretty stable team but with, with their time hours only um our kitchen's open 9 while well, three thirty, and our working day is eight while on paper eight while five but normally out the door by half four so in this job it's it's struck that balance obviously it's a pandemic which has um caused everybody the anxieties and, and risk of depression that it, it obviously has um I think again, such words, pretty happy, stable team at the minute, minus the odd kind of day to day issue.
1: That's good. And obviously in terms of managing these sort of behaviors and these blips or these, you know, these issues where they occur, has anyone ever ever given you sort of formal management training or is any, is this all sort of self-learned in terms of how to address this?
0: Yeah. So again, this, this, job at young farm it's just massively different to anything i've been a part of before um and it's kind of the first place where i've had any form of training from ownership on people management people skills personalities um and kind of things like that like and just early door, early days we sat down with the two owners and they extended their trust in me and expressed that they see me as the third owner which i've never really had before so it's like if you do something Even if it's wrong, like we trust you've done it on good grounds. Um, So kind of taking that more than happy now to try and help manage the staff. And if they want to talk to me as kind of a middleman, that's kind of how it now happens. Is a front of house manager as well called Kat. Um, She's come from a retail background, so she doesn't really have time for the hospitality bullshit. And uh, she's also a really good listener and a good talker for the front of house team and the kitchen team. And so I think as a combination of the two owners, me and Kat, we've kind of got it down with the um, people management and, and things like that. But yeah, it's the first place I've had any proper training on it and guidance with it.
1: That sounds impressive. And uh, obviously from the sound of things between yourself and front of house, you've got a, a good level of communication as well to be able to, not just from a work perspective, but to talk about, how to aid members of staff and to to perhaps signpost any issues that are occurring?
0: Yeah, um, so kind of when we first opened in July, I kind of probably still had my stressed out chef head on and went down the he shit, she shit kind of route at the end of the day. And Ben and Emma being so patient and understanding of like the real world, opposed to hospitality, like, no, you're just different personalities and then worked with me and worked with them and worked with a couple of problem staff members, if you like, to kind of mold them into what we need. Um, So whereas my initial mantra was, their rubbish get rid, that's probably far too old school. Um, And I will then be guilty of, would have then been guilty of all the things that I didn't like when I was younger, that's kind of all I knew, Um, because the head chefs I'd had minus one or two. That's how they were. If you weren't good enough, you went. If you weren't good enough front of house, it was all your fault. You're not coming back in. Um, but yeah, the patience of the two owners and the guidance of the two owners to understand people a little bit more um, and understand that people are just different. Like me and the front of house supervisor, a very different personalities. He's called Liam. Um, and at first, I couldn't get on with him whatsoever. Um, but now, staying after work to watch football together, messaging, Having a beer, things like that. And I didn't see that happening in July, nor would it have happened without Ben and Emma's um kind of outlook on people and, and life in general. So yeah, it's a, an eye-opening place, like totally different to anything else. So it almost causes me anxiety at times, like um how nice they are. And I'm like, this isn't normal, but then in reality, no, it probably is normal. It's the industry I'm from that's not normal.
1: Yeah, I mean. I've had the luxury of working in multiple different industries. Um, You do get some real shit business owners and some real shit management styles. Wherever you go, sometimes they're fucking awful. You know, I I left a job once with the mechanical engineering within two weeks because it was just, you know, when you walk in somewhere and you feel how bad it is, you just feel that, like, nah, (laughs) nah, I can't do this. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. It's not going to work. But um, hospitality, it's got a bit of a bad rap, really, for the fact that the high turnover over of staff make just getting rid of someone and getting someone else in is is a is the option that everyone sort of defaults on but actually as you found with your owners and and you know your 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 partners within the business is the fact that if you actually spend time building a team and training people and upskilling them you've got a workforce that won't just work hard for you but they'll stay with you for a long period of time and i think it's it's business owners like that which could be incredible for setting other people off on on journeys like yourself you know where you're looking at management styles now and you're looking at personality traits and you're working out like how your personality may mismatch with someone but ultimately you'll find common ground you can build rapport and it makes a much easier service doing that than just shouting at each other and telling each other to fuck off every two minutes it just doesn't (laughs) <laughs> yeah. you know he, and we laugh about it but that's what we, that's what that's what the industry's built around it's built around a, you know oh fucking she's too young or he's too old or he's a yeah, dick he, he you know he hasn't come fast enough he doesn't know what he's doing whereas in fact actually if we've rather than just writing everyone off which isn't doing anything for anyone's mental health anyway it's about yeah. actually sitting down and having conversations and just trying to get to the root cause and if it's skill shortages we need to upskill people we need to spend money investing on that if it's issues if it's problems then again we need to get them out in the open discuss them and you know buy uh, resources get an occupational therapist on board who can can help with it or get a counsellor or you know refer someone to drugs and alcohol services if needs be but it's about doing more and recognizing the fact that hospitality is where it is. And it's not just an industry where you can just turn up, rock up, do your thing and go home anymore. It's an industry that we have to really start creating some momentum behind to change. And um, yeah, absolutely. So as any, anything that you would like to sort of say to the listeners who perhaps are in a similar situation or anything that you've learned over the last couple of months or six months or a year, that perhaps any wisdom that you could impart on uh, on our listeners at all?
0: Um, just kind of what we're just treading on, yeah. Just just bear with your staff and and support them. And obviously, it's a hard time for everybody. Um, and we've all tried to adapt as best we can. And obviously, this this is outside of our control. Um, but yeah, just just continue supporting them. Look out for the, the signs, which are sometimes easy to spot and sometimes aren't. Um yeah, and I just feel that the whole being there as a team is, is a family based industry like uh, I'm probably closer to my kitchen team than I am. People I'm related to, um, so just, yeah, just watch out for each other. Um, it's like, you know, in my kitchen, there's one girl and, and four lads and she's very much got four big brothers around her that not going to let anything bad happen to her and you know she's probably harder than a lot of us to be fair she'll, she'll protect us as well and it's just a really special industry Um, i absolutely love it even through the bad times that i put myself through because of it there's no other industry i'd rather be in um i just think it's great and yeah encourage creativity encourage ideas like get just get your staff involved with with everything, even down down to menus, down to layouts, just anything. Just get even your entry level staff like my and a couple of his dishes have got on the menu and when them dishes print on the check, it's not up for fuck's sake. It's all I mean, I'll do that and just little things like that to give everyone a little bit of ownership, a little bit of pride um, within the business, because we can all be told to knock out fish and chips and shit pies all day, but better to have a young chef have his potato wire next to some lamb that's someone else's idea and then everyone's just got some input i feel you'll have a much happier workforce if your entire workforce have input on your overall business and your overall brand and offering
1: yeah a hundred percent i i couldn't have said better myself i think um yeah i i agree with those it's amazing as, as you say small things like having an input onto a menu dish doesn't necessarily have to be the whole dish. It could just be one component of that dish and allowing someone that, that freedom uh, of creativity that perhaps they would have never have gotten another job. And if anything, you know, anyone who's looking at adopting some of your suggestions now will be so, so much more well-received than than usual because it's such a (laughs) a rarity in this industry. So it's really good.
0: And even if, if the idea is not great, just bear with it. Like when Cameron put his apple crumble pancakes on, it, it wasn't the best dish, but nor should it be when it's his first chef job. So then one of my sous said, why don't we do some candied nuts? And then we put some caramel sauce. And it's only little things that aren't groundbreaking in any way, but it's come to death as a really popular little dessert. But for anything else, it's worth Cameron having a dish on the menu that's his and he's proud of it. And you know he, he's happy because of it. So just because if the initial idea is a bit too basic or not good enough, just work with them, guide them, tell them what they're going to do, but let them think it's their idea to a degree. Um, but just, yeah, just work with them and bear with them. Um, so it's definitely worth it once. You know, Cameron's been with us six months now and he's, he's uh, Cameron's got Asperger's, so he, he was already going to be an employee that was going to challenge us in that regard. Um, but it's been so rewarding to see him come out his shell. Sometimes a little too far out his shell, but out his shell nonetheless. Um, and see him kind of grow up and grow into you know a really talented chef with some prospects, opposed to what he was before, which was he wanted to be a chef. But the last restaurant just made him carry plates and wash up. So yeah, stick with people. It's definitely worth it. Ian, before you go, a
1: final question that I ask all my guests and I've still not worked out a way to phrase it right. So here we go. (laughs) (laughs) If you were to write a letter to your 18 year old self detailing or outlining what you know now to avoid yourself making the same mistakes, what would you say to yourself?
0: I would tell myself to chase knowledge, not a salary. As I settle for some pretty average jobs for an extra couple of quid an hour, not to worry about making mistakes because it'll all come good in the end, and that things do definitely get better. Try not to sweat the small stuff, um, kind of the usual things. But yeah, the biggest one for me would have been the the uh, chase knowledge, not money, um, because when you get to your late 20s, you're going to be in a much better place um, than, than you could be, um, and just go learn off. If you want to go learn off someone, just harass them and sort of say yes. Like, I wish I had. Um, I was lucky because I got to learn from a really good chef called Andy, but if I had not met him, I'd have fallen into the trap of being average and not doing something I love and just earning 20 grand a year for the rest of my life. Um, so yeah, definitely just just chase knowledge and stick at it. Um, it's so rewarding and, and obviously pandemic aside, eventually as a chef, people will always need chefs. So absolutely just stick at it.
1: Thank you very much. And for anyone who's looking at uh, learning and think there are loads of resources online that you can you can you can get hold of. I mean, Allison is a website that's based over in the States, but they've got thousands of online learning resources that are free. Uh, you can also learn more about uh, mental health at work, uh, mental health at work website, which is mentalhealthatwork.org.uk at And on there, they've got a suicide prevention training uh, session from the Zero Suicide Alliance, and that's free, and that's also on how to recognise signs of suicide and how to support someone. So, you know, taking the time to invest in yourself and build yourself up is is incredibly important. But also to you know to learn about others around you. I mean, that's why we are here now, and why I'm doing what I'm doing because I hit hit the bottom, and then just spent time just investing into learning, like learning everything whether it made sense or not at the time just fucking learning picking up books listening to audio books listening to podcasts you know and hopefully this this too will help others who uh, who are on a similar sort of journey so ian thank you very much
0: and you thank you for having me
1: cheers mate well i hope you enjoyed that episode with ian there talking quite openly and frankly about his time with addiction in the form of gambling and also some of his top tips in terms of how he manages or gets the best out of his staff whilst also looking out for their well-being. Join us again very soon as we interview and speak with yet another Burnt Chef guest. We look forward to seeing you then.